Hello, fellow foodies. Welcome back. This is Dr. Cassandra Quave, and you're listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. Today on the show, we're going to be covering one of my favorite topics. Um, This is a personal hobby of mine, and I'm sure of many of the listeners, and that is gardening. Our guest today is Chris McLaughlin. She's the author of nine books written about her life's passions, about nature, gardening, small livestock, and the family farm. She's been gardening for over 40 years and has enjoyed rural living both in the suburbs and on small farms. She became a master gardener in 2000 and acquired specialty certificates in programs such as the Food, Land, and People Project, Kids in Gardens, and Backyard Wildlife Habitats. Chris's work can be found in Fine Gardening Magazine, Hobby Farm, Home Magazine, Urban Farm Magazine, The Heirloom Gardener Magazine, and Mother Earth Living. She also has a fantastic new book that's out this year. It's called The Good Garden, How to Nurture Pollinators, Soil, Native Wildlife, and Healthy Food, all in your own backyard. So, so great to have you on the show, Chris. And I'm really eager to learn, um, you know, a bit about from about you and also learn about some tips that you may have for us um, in our own backyard gardens. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's so great being here. Yeah, um, my, my book, I have, this book has been meaning to come out for a very long time. And um, it's just the book of my heart in the sense that, um, you know, in feeding ourselves in a healthy way and growing our gardens in a healthy way that puts good food into us. All of those good ways of growing are also helping our earth and our soils and our ecosystems. And I happen to have a really big focus on wildlife. It's a big thing for me. So um, I like to grow food and everything I grow, flowers and everything um, in such a way that um, it makes our lives you know, healthier and more wonderful. And at the same time, does the same for our ecosystem and our wildlife in our own backyards. That's great. Now, I 100% agree. I think gardens can bring so much, not only just joy and kind of um, mental health boost to be in the garden, but also, you know, they bring such a treasure to our plates and we can taste the difference in flavor. And that, of course, you know, translates into different chemistries of um, fresh vegetables that come into our diet. Um, You write a lot about these concepts of interconnectedness of various creatures in the garden environment. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about that, about how animals and pollinators play into your, into your ideal garden. Right. Well, um, one of the things is that um, I really like to explain to people sometimes is the idea of, you know, not using the pesticides and that kind of, you know, freaks people out a little bit because they think everything will be ugly and ruined and, and, Mostly that's not true. Uh, Parts of it can be, but um, you're also supporting the ecosystem in that way. But the other thing is, you know, most people like starting from just the basics of most of us want some wildlife. We're interested in birds and butterflies and everything, right? So when you kill off even the guys that you think are bad and what's coming to my mind right now is the oak tent caterpillars that fall from our oak trees and they're annoying. Um, That is also when you're killing that off, you're killing off the bird's food. So, you know, you want birds to come to your yard, but you're busy poisoning their food and killing it. So hard to get them to come, you know, Um, and clearly we need the pollinators and um, the poisons that we use um, to kill the things that are eating our plants or maybe we just don't like them for various reasons. Those things also kill the good animals too. They kill the pollinators, 
they kill your um, beneficial insects other than pollinators, which is like your predator insects, like say ladybugs or uh, praying mantises and things like that. So um, it, it is all interconnected. What you're putting back out there is obviously going to come back uh, to us and also into your soils and into the, the earth around you. And being part of that ecosystem, they really do you know, help. And as far in terms of like we were talking before about ladybugs. And um, so I really encourage people to get to know what their friendly creatures look like, because there are some creatures that look really creepy. And yet they're some of our greatest assets. And baby um, ladybugs are one of those. They look like these teeny tiny black and red hideous little alligator creatures. <laughs> they're so gross. <laughs> You know, and people are like, what is this? You know, and it's like, oh, that's the good guy. He's coming to the rescue. He eats like, like, I don't, I forgot if it was like 30 times the amount of aphids that a ladybug eats. He has this voracious appetite. So, you know, getting to know that, you know, there are definitely uh, books out there and, you know, even from your local, um, you know, um, local sources, you'll be able to get downloads and things of people, of people have written things that tell you what these bugs look like and uh, tell you what to look for that are good and bad and, and what have you. So um, it's really good to get to know that. And, and also what damage might really be damage. Um, you know, a couple of tomato plant leaves that are eaten a tiny bit. I mean, is that really damage? Is it? I mean, you know, it, it, it's not. You got some healthy tomatoes going, you're bringing them in and you're eating them and you're all good. Even if you're missing a tomato or two, meh, you know, I mean, you can, oh, come on. Yeah. So, uh, you know, our ideas of perfection, our Instagram worthy perfection are not the idea of perfection that the natural world is going to call perfection. So wrapping our minds around that is really, yeah. yeah. Well, I think within like the foraging community, there's this ethos of, you know, take what you need and leave a bit for the, for the critters that also need to use that, that wild food as their food source. And so maybe, maybe I can sacrifice a few, um, tomatoes to, yeah. you know, the chipmunks and squirrels who invade <laughs> my true. garden. Yeah, we, we actually do, uh, sacrifice, you know, we have some willows, some small willow bushes that we were harvesting for their branches. Um, and, you know, there's butterflies that actually, you know, come from those guys. And so we let one tree get decimated, you know, but the other ones were fine. The yeah. rest are beautiful. And then that one, and we do it with our tomato plants as well. You know, mm -hmm. um, we do, we let some animals just take it down and then the rest of it's ours. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. smart. Yeah. So I was in the store today looking at, you know, um, some different plants to get going in my garden and in the checkout line, I saw they had some little containers of earthworms and ladybugs. And I was wondering, what are your thoughts about that? If we're going for kind of a, an organic or biodynamic way of, of, of home gardening, right. should we be thinking about buying insects to introduce the environment if we don't see a lot of them? Or how do we know if we actually need them or if they're already there? Well, you know, with the worms, what I've always noticed is that if you're, if you build any kind of compost pile or even in your garden bed, if you're laying compost down and letting those organic um, materials, you know, decompose, the red worms kind of come on their own. I mean, they truly do. A lot of people do like to buy um, not only the ladybugs, which you can release if you feel that you have you know, a lot of soft body insects like the aphids, but also um, 
you know, a pre another predator would, would be the praying mantis. They actually sell the little egg sacs. It's like, it's really cool. I mean, it's kind of like scary, but like really cool, right? And you, you bring them home and they hatch and all these tiny little babies come out and they're, you know, all over your garden and they're helping you. So, I, I mean, sure, I think that's a great way to do it. And, you know, of course, getting them locally from local sources would be ideal because you're really looking for that sort of, you know, um, thing. That's why we always talk about putting as many native plants into your um you know, your space as much as you can. Uh, clearly, it'd be pretty difficult to actually only have native plants. Um, if you were a wilderness dude living up in the mountains and you had only native plants, that, that, that could work. But, you know, if you're growing a garden, you'd be hard-pressed to actually find um, a vegetable or even fruit in there, really, that um, is native to your area. So that's going to be, you know, that's tricky. You're going to have some non-natives. But the idea is to plant things that are um, non-invasive, which is that they don't take over our native plants, but also that they're calling in your native pollinators, because that's the really, that's the key, is what's out there pollinating naturally, you want to call in. So as many, you know, native plants you can get out there, you're going to call those good guys in, but I don't mind you know, buying some too. Absolutely. If I want a little boost. That's great. Okay. This, because uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was like, I, I was considering buying this. Like, I'm going to wait and speak to the expert today and see what she thinks. Yeah. <laughs> sure. like, so I have another insect question. And this may be one that some of our listeners contend with every year I enter a fierce battle with slugs. They, you know, love to chomp up my cabbages and my lettuce. And I'm wondering, you know, Right. I've I've tried every natural thing, eggshells, you know, what what's your advice for dealing with those? Or is there well, a good natural way to deal with slugs or maybe another insect predator? Yeah, the well, the one the one thing I've tried, which I don't know if you've tried it or not, but as I put a board, a giant flat board down and let it be moist underneath, you can moisten the soil or whatever. And overnight I lay that down. The snails usually gather underneath that at night. And if you go out there in the early morning and lift that board up, all the snails are clinging to it. And then I just kind of brush them off into the garbage can. Well, whatever. that's easy enough. You know, okay. Yeah, that works out really well. Um, there's also a, a product if, if that's not working and they're really invading, like not just taking a little bit. Remember, ecosystem, right? But at the same time, if they are taking a lot, then you can use sluggo, and sluggo is iron phosphate which actually doesn't hurt any other creatures. What it does for the slug is it stops it from eating. So it'll, they'll be out there. It's not a quick thing. This is not a giant spray it out there and everyone's laying there dead. You know, it's not like that. It takes a little bit of time because you're stopping their appetite. But, you know, I really find between doing that board, if you did that like every day, honestly, in that area, you're going to really knock that count down. And also your birds are going to come take a bunch of things too. So of course, encouraging all of that to work together. And um, the thing is too, like we're, we live in an Amazon Prime world, right? I mean, right. So everything has to be like this. I mean, we're so, that's what we're used to. I mean, even since the microwave, right? I mean, honestly, I have literally stood in front of my microwave, no lie, 90 seconds left that I'm doing this. Come on, <laughs> <90 laughs> and I can't wait, right? So that mentality of it, it is true in a natural garden, when you're really trying to do things in a way that works with nature, it takes a little bit of time. You have to give things time to work. So the slow food movement, the slow fashion movement, the slow, 
slow flower movement, you know, the slow garden movement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Give it a break, you know? So yeah. that, that's really important because people think things don't work right away and they don't see that massive result. And that, then that is instantly gratifying. So, but what we do find is if you keep using a lot of these, you know, more natural ways, you're going to find the garden comes in balance. Nice. Nice. Well, I mean, that's the goal overall. When I, when I think about how I lay out my garden, I'm also always looking for ways to grow plants in harmony. And, um, one of those ways is by looking for plant companions and, you know, um, how do I plant one type of, uh, vegetable with another, for example, I'm getting ready to plant some peas on a trellis and along the line, I'm putting in some lettuce and the peas, you know, have nitrogen fixating bacteria that will help the lettuce grow. And so they make nice companions. And I'm wondering, um, in your experience, um, maybe we'll just start with like a vegetable garden. Do you have any tips on how to really find the best plant friends for each other? Yeah. You know, I don't do a lot of, um, that's a tough one because there's so many different ways. There's so many different iterations. Yeah. But one of them, you know, like you're saying, of course, there's some that go hand in hand or whatever. But one thing I want to talk about, because you brought up the um, the uh, the nitrogen, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with the peas and the legumes, they fix nitrogen in their roots, right? Well, lots of times what we'll do is a little cover crop in a bed and we'll grow it in the fall or in the early, early spring. And we'll let those legumes grow. And by the way, it isn't just legumes, but I like that because it fixes the nitrogen. So anyway, um, so, and as it grows, when it starts to get that bloom, just before it blooms, we knock it down into the soil and let it stay there and it lets go of that nitrogen. And so I find that like a way of companion planting that I really, you know, think works, you know, really well in terms of, you know, um, it's not right next to each other. Um, you know, exactly. But, you know, it's something a little different, but it's part of the cycle. Yeah. And then also I like to rotate my plant families. And that's another way of trying to keep pests and disease away is if you're doing things with peppers and tomatoes and, you know, those are nightshade family, the pests and the disease are going to, when they discover that bed and they start hanging out, you really would like them to move on for the next season. So you might Mm -hmm. plant those in a whole different area and put something different in this one. So, you know, I talk about bed rotation in there because that's really a great way to dodge things. And what, you know, so that's not exactly companion planting, but it's sort of a- It's a strategy, yeah. yeah. A plant strategy, right. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those weirdos that, (laughs) I shouldn't say weirdo, I think it's fun. But like, I have every bed labeled by plant family and scientific name of each species I have growing and I have little labels. (laughs) My husband says, who's going to read this? It's like, I read it and I enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, I always have those fantasies. Like, I go around and it's like, I, I did this the other day with my oak trees. You know, in California, mm-hmm. we have like, yeah. I don't know how many we have, 23 or something, different types of oak trees. We don't have that many on my property, but we have quite a few. And mm-hmm. I'm going around like going, tying these things, going, hanging it. My husband's like, why? <laughs> like, what if someone comes here and they say, that's a beautiful oak tree. I want one just like it. I want them to know what it is. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Yes. Put <laughs> your plant labels out. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I may use that as an excuse to start labeling the plants in my front yard. <laughs> so no, it could happen, you know. So, That's amazing. Yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah. Well, 
Well, I want to dive a little bit deeper into your book. Um, and yeah, maybe you could just share with us a little bit about it because the whole premise of the book is really about how to, um, how to really help your backyard garden thrive. Um, and you know, how to nurture all these different units from the pollinators to, um, wildlife. Um, maybe you could just share with us a little bit of the structure of the book and what readers might expect when they, when they dig in. Sure. Uh, basically, I, I call it a gateway book. <laughs> I always call myself a gateway drug because that's kind of, I like to introduce people to all these concepts that they may not have known about before. Um, and just introducing them, usually people will think to themselves, oh, that sounds like, that's right up my alley. I dig that, you know, and I want people to have, instead of writing like a book that focused on one type, I wanted people to see all these different ways that they might incorporate, you know, these practices and these practices are borrowed from all kinds of different types of, you know, what we might quantify as a specific gardening technique. These are all borrowed. And um, I want to show people all the different ways that they can make a difference. And maybe they're just starting. And if they want to make, they can take one or two things and incorporate it. And then always they end up wanting to do more because it works and it's wonderful and they're really happy about it. Um, And the other thing I I want to talk about too is that, um, you know, I'm on a farm at this point, but I have done everything here on my farm. I have done that in the suburbs every single thing, including I snuck two potbelly pigs over there. I also had three hens and I had a front yard garden. So, you know, I I have a potbelly pig as well. I really want to get chickens, but you know, the yard's getting crowded. They are the best. I love it. They really are so much. And yeah, and I mean, we were allowed in that area. We were allowed to have chickens and probably maybe not so much the pigs, but the chickens we were, um, as long as they weren't roosters. So I did all of the things that I'm doing here with gardening and composting and all of the things. I did that in a suburban zone and I did all of these good things. So I want to share with people that you can do, you know, all of these healthy things. You don't have to be somewhere big. You don't have to try to make a difference. Like, well, I don't have really big space. It's small. It does make a difference. And especially when your neighbors catch on and they start to see what you're doing and that it's working and they start to inquire. And so Um, I like to encourage people to, I I talk a little bit, you know, towards the back of the book about community and how to get that community involved with what you're doing. Um, A lot of people, especially nowadays, it seems like they don't know their neighbors that well, and they get very nervous that if they show they have something that someone's going to get angry. And of course, there are people that might do that. I had one neighbor that I had a compost pile. And of course, I compost differently here. Here, I just have big mounds and I do not care because I'm on a farm. And But there, I did a nice little fencing around it. I had plants growing up and flowers blooming. Like, just trying to be really respectable. And this was in my backyard. But I still felt like when they look over their back fence, you know, I just wanted it to be looking, you know, aesthetic a bit, you know. So she had a bunch of flies. And she said to me, you know, I, I think your compost pile is bringing in flies. Like, I think it probably smells. And I'm like, you think so? Come over. You know, so she came over because I wouldn't want that either, of course. And so she came over and I put my hand in the pile and I showed it to her and I said, well, smell it. Does it smell? And she's like, no, that 
no i just was like really nice soil i'm like all right and she, there was no flies on it either i mean there was no net and she was like oh i guess it's not coming from here and i'm like no and then you know and then it becomes a bigger conversation where maybe she could do that too for her garden you know whereas before it looked kind of like oh that might bring something but when you share and show people what's going on um often you don't get the response you think you'll get and you know even like out front a lot of people are spanning out front they may put a couple of small fruit trees or they may put an actual vegetable garden and i always try to tell people and even in the book i try and express be respectful you know don't you know you wanted to grow these adorable little jack lantern oh, uh, jack be little pumpkins right growing along your thing that's wonderful but don't let it encroach on someone's property no matter how cool you think that is that wasn't their decision so keep it respectful keep it neat keep it organized make it lovely and most people don't complain and actually they will ask you how are you doing that what's going on here or can i have some <laughs> you know whatever so and that's how you get people on board this is really with having respect and not you know um pushing things onto people but more inviting them in so i do a lot of talking about that in the back of the book but um but all the way through i like to give you ideas on what you could do for you know keeping weeds away you know organically and naturally um you know pests i talk about if you want to do a specific garden say you want to put a, a butterfly garden out there and i talk about how not only do you need things for um the nectar and the pollen, but you also need the plants that that particular butterfly is going to lay its eggs on and that that little caterpillar will indeed eat all the way to the ground because that's what's going to give you more of those beautiful butterflies. So, you know, we talk a little bit about the monarchs in there and um, we go all the way into citizen science, which uh, if you like nature, takes you a little deeper where you can become part of science as just an average citizen that's all up at a collective database. And there's so many different ways to get involved with that. So um, yeah, I talk about, you know, just all, all it's kind of runs the gamut of everything in there. So truly a gateway. No, I love that. I love that. I think, I think you're, you're really onto something too about talking with our neighbors about plants and native plants and, yeah. you know, um, I'll give you some examples. Like in our neighborhood, I'm really fortunate because I have um, some neighbors that are really into gardening, really into native plants. And so we kind of have that, that similar mindset. And then there are others um, that have beautiful fig trees, for example, and I love to make a fig leaf liqueur. And so I'm always thinking, you know, <laughs> can I just grab some leaves? I'm like, I don't want to be a fig leaf, you know, thief here. So I like, I knock and I you know, explain to them how I like to use the fig because they have it just as an ornamental. I'm like, oh, this actually, you know, you can also do cool things to make these really interesting beverages out of the leaves. It's not just the fruits. And so I think you're absolutely right. You can really open up amazing conversations um, with people, um, you know, and find common ground, yeah. but also being respectful. So your plants are just growing all <laughs> into oh, everybody else's stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and, you know, even in that area, I did grow some, you know, native uh, grasses that would grow mm -hmm. kind of tall, right. And they would, you know, produce the seed heads for the birds, but I did not do that out front. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't remember your neighbors are paid, you know, it, it's it's fair to say that they've paid good money for their homes. They want their neighborhood to look nice. Absolutely. Um, so that kind of thing I had in a little, little cornered fenced area. It actually looked like it was some sort of garden situation as opposed to, oh, I just forgot to mow or something. It wasn't yeah. like that. 
so it gave a little purpose. And um, so, you know, the other thing is too, with your neighbors, like you were talking about, the neat thing is that if you're maybe growing something and you have a vegetable garden and they have fig leaves, or perhaps they have some dwarf fruit trees or something, you know, you guys can trade. Yeah. I mean, it's like, this is what it's like to homestead. Like, honestly, people swear to you have collectives in their neighborhood where they're all trading fruits and flowers and things like that. That's literally modern homesteading. Yeah, well, the same thing as being, I mean, it is, it's just in a current lifestyle. But honestly, when you're sharing what you're producing, you're being like, you know, any farmer that's out there raising cattle, and he might give meat to someone who's out there that is growing corn. And that's mm -hmm. all that guy's really growing and someone else is doing veggies and they're collaborating. You can do that without the cattle. You can do that, you know, in your neighborhood, you know, you can come up with stuff and you can go to community areas and pick up, you know, uh, compost and things like that. A lot of, I know our fairgrounds will do that. They have big mm -hmm. piles of compost and they'll let the community know, bring your trucks, you know, load them up. So, I mean, really as a community, you can do so much to keep this, uh, you know, the, the ecosystem, you know, thriving in your area and and you get to see and know things you never knew existed before or why they existed so anyway so that's yeah. why i wrote it and that's you know yeah i love that i mean the more that i i learn about health as a system as an ecosystem really yeah. you know our health is not just contingent upon the foods we eat and the medicines we take or our genetics it also has to do with our social networks with our you know, mental well-being, our sense of place, our sense of meaning within communities, within spaces. And I think right. all that you just described is not just, you know, great for maximizing resources within a community, but it's also about maximizing your health. And, and I just love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when you think about it, what could be healthier? I mean, you know, yeah. and even, you know, even, I mean, healthier physically for sure. And mm -hmm. also healthier mentally, which what, what we're, you know, having these relationships with people. I mean, there's people in your neighborhood that honestly, they do live alone. And yeah. They don't have extended family. It's not to say that, but they are living in their house alone. And how wonderful would that be if once a month or something, well, wherever you figured it out, people got together and exchanged something or, oh, look, my tomatoes are ripe. I'm going to go give some to this person. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, that that is, is, takes you a long way as far as longevity, you know, mm -hmm. lifespan. I mean, seriously, people need people. And Absolutely. It's how, it's how it is. We can't get away from it. And I watched people talking about one time, they were saying how, you know, with, with the internet and with our phones and with it, that we're getting away from, you know, in some ways, I agree in some ways, but here's the thing, the most popular websites on the web are sites where we're in these forums together. We're listening to podcasts. Yeah, that's true. What? <laughs> so let's see what's happening here. We developed technology so we could reach people. That's correct. Mm -hmm. I mean, in yeah. some ways, that lone person at home may have more friends than they've ever had because they connect in this little box on our, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Reaching out for people, even though the technology keeps coming at us. So we go, oh, you know, we're still reaching out. We still need people. We still want people. 
So I just, you know, that's why Absolutely. I was for me with the community section in there. Um, I just think that we could be doing a lot more for that's each other amazing. in the world. So, yeah. No, I, I'm 100% on that. I think connectivity to people. And then, you know, another big component for me is just connectivity to earth and to nature. And there is this, there's something beautiful about planting a seed and watching it grow. And I know that sounds like a Hallmark card, (laughs) but really I I can't explain, you know, um, uh, you know, my, there are these memes on the internet say, you know, how do you like my $50 cucumber? You know, (laughs) cause all the things that you go to like (laughs) growing it, but I'm like, you know what? That cucumber comes with more than just, you know, the actual nutritional value of it. It comes with all the steps and the joy it brings me and creating it. And I think of course there are easier ways to grow things. They don't have to be so expensive. Um, but you know, I think one thing that many people lack is really the skills. And, and I, when I say people, I'm including myself, even though I'm, you know, my expertise is in botany, it's more on the side of understanding how to identify plants in the wild and how to understand their chemistry. I've never taken a horticulture class, for example. And so there have been many, many seasons of trial and error where everything dies or sometimes it thrives. And so I'm kind of learning my way forward, but I know there are resources available. And so I wonder if you could tell us about that. Like, how can we, and this is really US um, centric, but there are government resources. What can you tell us about where we can go in our state to learn how to grow, um, you know, native plants and, and have successful gardens? Well, one of the best places I find is the Master Gardening Program, which um, I did way back in 2000. I I think I said to you earlier, 2010, which made me laugh. I thought, oh, no, no. Yeah, it was 10 years earlier before that. I'm old. Um, But anyway, they, through your your cooperative extension office in your state, um, not only do they have courses if you wanted to do that, but even if you didn't, they always have people at the ready to answer your local questions, which is, right, super important. But you could get, you know, all the books you want. You can look things up. But boy, when they're right in your backyard and you're like, well, I have this plant doing this thing. They're like, ah, we know what's happening because it's happening all over. And so they, you know, they help you with that. So <clears throat> reaching out to the Master Gardeners is like a really great resource. And then also if you wanted to become one, that's really awesome. Um, that information trickles down from the universities and they train people to be Master Gardeners in the county. They also um, host plant sales one of which I just missed the other day. And they have, um, they do heirloom vegetables and things like that, but they also have the native plant sale. So they make sure people get those in their yards as well. So I always say reach out locally because that's really what I'm all about. Obviously the locality of anything extends to the entire world, right? But I think that we don't focus often on what we can do in our small, as our small cells in our small yards. And so um, reaching out locally is your best way to uh, be knowledgeable about what you're doing. And, you know, and I love the botany thing you brought up, like, honestly, that's the degree I would want. (laughs) I'm a botany geek. Like, I just, I don't know nearly enough, uh, but everything I learn, I get so, it's so amazing to me. And you talk about, you know, the seed growing and I, and people like, oh, you know, we have miracles around us every day. We don't, we just don't think they're miracles because they're, they happen all the time. And so we miss it. But I am always amazed how an apple seed, which by the way, you probably wouldn't want to grow apples from an apple seed, but if you did, 
and it grew into a tree, right? And all the people it feeds for how many years? Those things live a long time. And I think to myself, is that not a miracle that that tiny seed holds every single thing it needs to do all that for everybody for years and years and years on end? I mean, it's miraculous to me. That's why I do love botany. Because <laughs> it's that's all very miraculous to me. That's just, yeah. So, yeah, I love that stuff. Um, so no, it is get- incredible. I mean, I know some people love the, I mean, I do enjoy the fall and the summer, but I would say spring is my favorite season of all because it's that period of growth and you get to see your little babies grow. You know, I have, I start off my seeds indoors so yeah. I can really get the garden going as soon as, you know, as soon as we pass the risk of frost and, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a, an incredible thing. So for all the listeners out there, um, if you don't have access to land, there's a lot you can do with simple containers on a windowsill. Um, I've, I've spoken before about mints and there are lots of great medicinal mints that are good in food or good as tea yeah. ingredients. You can start at home just in your windowsill. Um, and for those of you that do have access to land, really take a look, take a survey, see like how many of those plants in your yard are actually native. Number yeah. one, can you increase that ratio? Um, and can you grow a little bit of the extra food for yourself? I mean, I'm also a big lover of fruit trees because they're so easy, right? You just stick yeah. out, you know, they take time. They so take I've time. got, yeah, that's the part it takes time. Gets yeah. You're not going to get like, you know, this amazing apple harvest <laughs> the year that right, you plant. Right. It can take a few yeah. years, but man, when they do come in, it's such a great, you know, a, a well, well-earned investment that you've, you know, waited on. I agree. Time. And it goes on for a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that tree just produces more and more and more every single year. In fact, the uh, our native um, Western red buds, you know, they mm. just all, they were all, they still have some flowers on them now, but they're all starting to leaf out now. But um, I make Western red bud jelly. Oh, yum. Yeah, and yeah. it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's so delicious. And it literally tastes like spring. There's no way to describe it. It's so light and so floral and mm-hmm. it's wonderful. And, you know. And going out there and harvesting some of those, you know, uh, those flower petals, which is what I'm after. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only take, you know, little handfuls. We have quite a few of them on our property. I take little handfuls from each tree, not a whole lot. I don't, you know, decimate anything. Um, but at the same time, it's so awesome. Just like, yeah, native plants from our yard. And here's our jelly. And That's amazing. Yeah. I love, I love, um, we have the Eastern red bud here. I use it to make cocktails though. Ah, <laughs> I like a bourbon, a bourbon cocktail with this beautiful red buds on top. So wonderful. good. So tasty. Oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah. so great. <laughs> there could be like this little, yeah, this little book on, you know, you know, putting like the, what you could do with these native plants that you have, these different things, you know? Yeah. I mean, not to mention all the other things you grow, the different ways that Mm -hmm. you put them into things like, you know, as you know, for your health and everything, the different ways to utilize is amazing. Yeah. Honestly, plants are like, you know, we should, we should be bowing down to plants. (laughs) (laughs) Here, guys. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I'm like, I am definitely someone that loves on the plants, hugs all the trees that like <laughs> the old trees, especially. I do too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it was funny at our other house, there was a, a 500 year old oak that came wow. down and it came down 
Oh no. And it was on it was on someone else's property, but in the other house that I lived at on a farm, mm-hmm. it was on someone else's farm. And it came down. And I am telling you, I know we are the biggest geeks, but you know what? We had a ceremony for that tree. And like honestly, and people were taking the acorns that had fallen so they could grow from that tree. They exactly wow. we had a ceremony. And it was like, but it was like important because it's like a 500 year old tree, this country wasn't discovered. Yeah. A tree was growing before what? Before everything here. So like it was amazing. It was just this, you know, this grand old thing. And it was it was really neat to see the little things people brought to lay on the tree and everything. Oh. It, was, it was super cool, but it's respect. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, it all comes down to respect for you know uh what what the earth gives us, honestly. That's really what absolutely it yeah. Absolutely, especially in a time where we've lost so many of our very old trees. I mean, yeah. globally, just yeah. because of human expansion, yeah. development, and et cetera. It's, yeah. 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 To acknowledge and respect it, I think that that also shows, you know, people who might have thought, what are these people doing by that tree over there? You know, <laughs> they might have, like, and then they find out what we were doing, and then they're thinking, oh, that's so silly. And then they're thinking, silly but i get it and you know what i mean and then any children who are watching right mm-hmm. i mean yeah. anything you're doing those kids are watching yeah so that's the way that's the way to you know uh, that's what i love about the citizen science too getting them involved with um oh my gosh there's so many things we do the bluebird project here because we have like a bazillion bluebirds so we do the egg count and the nestling count we see how many hatch and everything it's really great and we upload that we do a phenology group where uh, we watch the changes in our native plants that are happening. Um, but there's so many, there's even this in the stars, the galaxies, you're looking at night and you're doing different things with that. And there's one where you go down with the, uh, the, uh, they're the horseshoe. Um, what am I thinking? Horseshoe crabs. And I think mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. themselves or something. I'm not, I'm not positive. About, and, and you go down there and you throw them all back. In. Get them back <laughs> in the water. Oh, there oh, there's the water. <laughs> Like yeah, there's frog sounds one, like where you're listening to frogs and writing down what you're hearing and stuff. I mean, God, I mean, it gets your kids involved with this stuff because that's what teaches them that respect and that love for our natural world, which we are a part of 100 percent We are also very natural. And seeing that be connected, you know, with the kids seeing that connection, they're the ones that will do better later because yeah. You know, we are showing them that respect. So I love it. I love it. And, you know, for the listeners out there, there are so many citizen science initiatives in every state across the country. I mean, globally as well. Like there's lots of different ways you can get involved. So amazing advice. Amazing discussion today, Chris. Thanks so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. All right. You've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious recorded for you today on Restream. I want to send a big shout out of thanks to our producers, to Rob Cohen and Christine Roth of Co-Conspiracy Entertainment. Um, If you'd like to support the show, we have some amazing, really fun um, uh, goodies for you to check out. You can head over to Mystery Control to find t-shirts, mugs, and totes um, that have our show's logo. And that's a great way to support the show. Thanks so much for listening. I want you to stay healthy out there and I'll see you next time.